that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond, episode number 492 for June 25th, 2017. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth, episode number 36 of X. How are you today, Bart? Hi, I'm just fine. Um, all nerded up, I think. I've had a, a weekend with much programming in it, so that's good. We had, uh, I had fun this week, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you you. You nailed the homework, so that's great. <laughs> I would like the entire audience to know that it only took me, I think it was around 12 hours to do the homework, and uh, it also took three and a half hours of Dorothy's time to be standing by while I was working on it. At first, she was helping me kind of on and off here and there, and then one night I said, hey, what are you doing after dinner? And she said, let's hang out. And so all of this is done in text, and, and it, it's a really interesting way to do it. We've tried doing it where I'm in voice with her. And when I get confused, I start to badger her and, and just go, no, that doesn't make any sense. But when she can write back to me and I have to think about what she said and respond in text, it's a it's a much better way to go. And she's she's really good at drawing me out saying, OK, well, what do you think this variable means? And I'll say, I don't know. I don't have any idea. And then she'll say, no, come on. You know, what does it mean? <laughs> Where did this come from? And she kind of draws it out. She never tells me the answer, no matter how many times I yell at her to please just tell me the answer. But it did take three and a half hours of her life to help me do my homework, which let she, luckily she didn't know we delayed a week. So she was done way early. So, uh, But we had tons of fun. Well, that's good. And also there was a very long gap between setting this homework and you starting on this homework. You know, and you, you did sort of travel, you know, which fancy pants place did you go again? Mm. It wasn't Galapagos this time. It was somewhere else. Oh, that, oh, that was uh, Yellowstone and uh, Grand Oh, Teton. yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't yeah. why, Bart. It's because you gave us a blank piece of paper. You said here, it's empty. Yeah, I did give you your a blank code piece, goes but... here. <laughs> I did, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> and I, all I had that. all I had to do was remember things like constructor and accessor methods, and you know that stuff that's just you know like this to me. Uh, partway yeah. through, I told Dorothy I was looking back at uh, PBS time, and I and I said I looked back at when I thought I was lost, and when before I knew what truly lost meant. <laughs> <laughs> Because now I look at date time, I go, could do that in my sleep. I well, this isn't course, a million but... miles different, right? The, the the principles are the same. We are we are building prototypes based on what properties they have and writing accessor functions for them. Yeah. It's yeah. just different properties. Yeah. It... It's just, I understand what time is and I understand what date is. And I'm still wrapping my head around what a cellular automaton or automata are. So I one automaton, two automata, three automata, four yeah. automata. But if I don't know what one automaton is, that doesn't help me at all. Martin. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. Well, we should probably stick in. I just wanted to high five about how excited I was that I uh, I, I got all the tests to turn green. I don't know if the code's any good, but uh, it all goes green. So, well, see, this thing is, if your code isn't any good, you can kind of blame me because my test suite passed your code. Yeah, there you go. And I like that. I like blaming you. That sounds good. <laughs> okay, so we're going to continue on our parallel track here. So way, way, way back before you went off mountaineering, um, we took our first look at HTML text input. And then as part two, we introduced Cellular Automata and Conway's Game of Life. And then we set you off in your assignment. So we're going to continue on the same two tracks. So we're going to start with some more HTML text inputs. And then we're going to switch track over to our cellular automata. And uh, I can tell you now that the two tracks are converging. There's a junction ahead uh, because our cellular automaton is going to need a UI to control it, 
which sounds awfully like a web form to me. Ooh, yay! Finally, some web forms. Yes, so we will we will be we will get our um, cellular automata to the point that they exist within a web page and actually can do something, and then we need to write a UI to control them. So there's going to be a web form and an automaton, and when you click the button, the automata will do things. That is that is a proper web app. Then then we have we have wow. created. So then we have brought together HTML to specify the structure of the page, CSS to define what it looks like, and JavaScript to bring it to life. So we, we have then united the three core web technologies. That's exciting. Yeah, and it's also not very far away. I'm pretty sure that is actually on the agenda for uh, the next installment. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. So let's get stuck in, I guess, to this week's installment then. So... As per usual, there is a zip file linked at the end of the last paragraph in the introduction. Um, it contains two folders and a file. The two folders are my solution to the previous challenge, your starting point for the next challenge, and some sample code we will be looking at shortly, which is pbs36.html. Uh, so last time we saw that there were two uh, mechanisms for implementing uh, text input. You could have single line text input fields using the input tag with a type equals text. And you could have a multi-line uh, input field using the tag text area. Yeah, that brings, yeah, a real faint one, but okay. Yeah, no, now I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So those were for very generic text, right? There was no sort of, there was no more brains to it than that. It's just anything can go here except that you can't have a new line character in a single line text box. That's kind of the only, you know, the only rule. So now we're going to look at sort of more specific sort of subsets of all possible text in the universe. Um, and we're going to spend our entire time today looking at the input tag, because that one tag is really quite versatile. Hmm. So, so far in the series, we've already seen it do three things, right? Input type equals checkbox gave us a checkbox. Input type equals radio gave us a radio button within a radio button group. And then input type equals text gave us our single line text boxes last time. So already that's three. And we're going to add a whole bunch more to them today. Oh, cool. Uh, we're going to start with some input types that have been around forever. Um, basically, they're the, the old HTML one, two, three, four uh, inputs. And then we're going to add a few newer ones, which have come along with HTML5 into the mix as well. And unfortunately, I had actually hoped to be able to do even more cool HTML5 ones. But much to my annoyance, it turns out that Apple are behind the ball. And Safari has not yet implemented annoyingly large chunks of the HTML5 spec. Really? Um, I wonder whether now, High Sierra could change that? Might do. Might do. Yeah. Um, I haven't run the beta, so I can't tell you. Now, no browser is perfect in this score. But Apple is more imperfect than Chrome, Safari, and frankly, Edge. So okay. anyway. You died so, a little bit when you said that, didn't you? <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, it, there is a luxury to getting to, to getting to do a do-over, right? So Microsoft threw all of their old legacy code in the bin and started with a fresh sheet. And it's a lot easier to implement the latest standards with, when you have no baggage sure. than when you're trying to transform an old code base. It's just funny um, to hear it the other way around, right? Usually we're saying that's what right. Apple is willing to do and, and Microsoft never is. And, and it sounds like they got ahead of the game on this now. 
Right, but how long did it, how many versions of IE were there until they finally got the stinking message? Like, <laughs> did we get it to twelve, or was it just IE eleven where it finally became know. too much? It still like, lives they, on, of course. You know, it is still right, there. but it is being phased out. It's yeah. it's still there, but it's it's ever more hidden away. Uh, one of these one of these days, we will get a version of Windows and it'll just be gone, and then we can all have a wee celebration. <laughs> Um, I still remember when Firefox was brand new and it was the most amazing browser ever because they had taken all of that horrible, horrible Netscape code, which literally went back to the very start of the Internet and kicked it to the curb and started over. So, you know, it's, it's starting over is good. Anyway, a year from now, hopefully, we'll be able to revisit this again and learn about some extra cool HTML5 stuff because HTML5 spec actually says that you should have a color picker available as an input type and a date picker, and a time picker. And it actually specifies that you should have a really nice UI for this. It's just that not everyone has implemented the spec yet. Oh. Uh, Chrome Chrome is the most complete in this regard, actually, at the moment. So if you want to play with some of the newer HTML5 stuff, Chrome is a good browser to play in. Your so privacy will suffer. Gonna... But... <laughs> so your goal is to keep us where we'll be able to use whatever we're doing to be on any any of the major web browsers. Any Current up-to-date browser, yeah. So basically, the latest Edge, the latest Firefox, the latest Chrome, and the latest Safari. I don't want to do anything that doesn't work on all four of those. I think that's too cutting edge. There's, there's a balance sure. there somewhere between being on the bleeding edge and being way back. Because I'm certainly not going to let IE6 hold us back. <laughs> right. Then, right, right. <laughs> then our subset of the web would be really quite cramped, confined, and unpleasant. So we, we won't do that. Uh, I will also say we're not going to spend a lot of time focusing on the JavaScript aspect of these text inputs we're going to look at today, with one exception, uh, because actually it's identical to what we did last time. So as a reminder, you use jQueries.val function to access the value stored in, a te- in an input, and you use jQueries.atter function to edit an attribute on one of these tags. And the same is true of all of the things we're going to look at today. So it's just .val and .atter. So we we just we won't keep re-saying that over and over and over again. Okay, cool. We're we're good at those. Oh, we're certainly going to get plenty of practice at those. Uh, have no fear. Um, we're actually going to start with an absolute oddball. I wasn't really sure where in the series to put this oddball in, so I just figured let's get it out of the way now. We are using the input tag, and we are setting a type we have not seen before. Input. Type equals hidden. Hmm. And it does exactly what it sounds like it does. It makes a completely invisible form input. What would you want an invisible form input for? Believe it or not, for a lot of things. It's actually extremely useful. And in fact, it has a history of being useful. It's just that in the olden days, it was useful for different things. So initially, it was a mechanism to allow a web server to inject some information that it would get back later. So if you had a multi-page web form, the server would hand you out the first page of the form and you'd fill in, say, your name and your address, and then you'd hit submit. And the server would then have your name and your address, and then it would create a new page for you where it might ask you for your credit card details. But there's no such thing as a concept of state in the web protocol, so it has to somehow connect page one to page two. It might have served out 5,000 page ones and get back 5,000 page twos. Which page one matches which page two? Well, if you send them page two with everything they've already entered in page one invisibly in the page as well, then when they submit page two, you have everything. So they're still input forms. They're just stored without you having to look at them? 
Yeah, so they're in the page. You can't see them, but when you hit submit, they're sent back to the server. So the server gets be, all four pieces. Big of empty spots on the page. Hmm. Completely invisible. They do not take up a pixel. Oh, interesting. Interesting. They have no presence within the UI. They are within the. They are within the document. They're within the form. They're within the logical structure of the page. They are just not. They do not occupy a single pixel. At the risk of derailing you here, because uh, it might have mm-hmm. nothing to do with this, I've noticed. In particular, Apple doing this, if you go to one of their pages where they list third-party stuff, like you just mm-hmm. go to the generic cable section and they may have cables from other people or or webcam or something like that, mm-hmm. do a search for something on that page, you will get many more hits than are actually visible. And if you tab through them, you'll see highlighted in the middle of nowhere, it'll say, you know, USB. That's... Probably something else going on. That's entire divs being hidden rather than okay. just form input fields. Okay. All That's right. basically they have fancy UI where things slide in and slide out. And that there's it's, it's everything really that could that be fancy. visible. It's just it's weird. But, well, it may be badly implemented fancy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. I should go open some stuff up and take a look in the uh, console and all that kind of stuff, right? There you go. So th- that sort of first use of form inputs to, to hidden inputs to retain state, that was replaced by a new easier mechanism called cookies. So the web server gives the browser a cookie, says you are client number four. And then the next time your web browser talks to the server, it hands back its cookie and says, hello, I'm client number four. And then the server can connect everything together. That's all cookies are, by the way. Hmm. The server gives the browser a cookie and says, next time you're talking to me, give me the cookie back so I know who you are. It's you know, like taking a ticket in the cloakroom. That's, that's what cookies are. And so cookies replaced this initial first use of, form, of invisible form inputs to a large extent. Um, but in the modern JavaScript world, they've, they've arrived at a whole new use. So we have learned about checkboxes and dropdowns and radio buttons and text inputs. And that's useful. But actually, there are many other conceivable UI elements we might want. And if we do want them, we have no choice but to create them ourselves from scratch using JavaScript and so forth. And then we got to save the value somewhere into the form so that we can send it to the server. And so what we use that, basically we use hidden text forms or hidden text, inputs. hidden form inputs for that. So if you see something like a star rating, there is no HTML tag to make a star rating, but you see them all over the web. Yeah. So the chances are very high what you're seeing is five images, some JavaScript, and a hidden form input. And when you click on four, the value four gets written into the hidden input by the JavaScript, and then off it goes when you hit submit. Oh. So basically, you write a fancy JavaScript-powered UI, and then you connect it to the form using a hidden form input. So the form input is there, but not visible, even though the star is there and I'm clicking it? Right, it so the star is... Open is visible to you. Yeah. And it's 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 providing a custom UI over an invisible form element because there was no HTML tag that would do what you wanted. There is no you know, there's no input type equals star. It doesn't exist. So you've right. written it, you, you simulated it and then you got to to get the value into the form so it can go back to the server, you have a matching invisible form element so that when you hit submit on the form that value is sent back to the server. Otherwise the value would never make it back to the server. So you've written code that says if she clicks in this physical region of these one, two, three, four, five icons, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, send an input to this invisible form input. Yeah, so use dot .val on the invisible form input and set it to whatever star they clicked on. 
So if they click the star for four, but how do, how do you four. send from me clicking the fourth star into oh, the it's an event memory. handler like we learned about ages and ages ago? So an on-click handler on the star. When the user clicks the star, fire off this JavaScript code. The JavaScript okay, code. Okay, fire off this JavaScript code. That's what I was looking for. Okay. Yes. Okay. So again, they're JavaScript-powered custom user interfaces. Wow. In fact, let's make this much more concrete. Let's actually do a worked example. We haven't done nearly enough practice at this stuff, so let's actually make a star rating. Okay. So we're going to make life easy for ourselves to avoid us needing image files and stuff. We're going to use uh, Font Awesome to give us glyph icons to use as our stars. So we're going to use the Font I the Font Awesome glyph icon FA star minus O for an inactive star, which is basically minus O for outline, and FA star for the active star, which is a fully filled in star. So the first thing we're going to do is make some HTML to represent our five stars and our hidden form input. So you'll see there nine lines. So we have label ID equals something rate this form. Then we have a span that contains five spans. We're going to give the outer basically because we know we're going to need to interact with this to JavaScript and CSS and stuff. I'm just sticking IDs all over the place. Okay. So I've given the label an ID, stars label. I've given the span an ID, stars underscore UI. I've then made five individual stars, and then I've popped a hidden form input after it. So input type equals hidden, name equals stars, ID equals stars underscore input. So if you expand out that little text box, which was that button with the arrow, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. The third one over gives you the toggle line wrap. There we go. You're looking That's what for. I wanted. Yeah. So you'll see that what we have here is each star is a span. So class equals FA, FA star O. That's just the font awesome stuff to turn that span into our little icon. Okay. ID equals stars one. It's just an ID. Now, then we're rediscovering something we learned about in installment 26. You can shove any arbitrary data into an HTML element using a data attribute. So data stars equals one. We're just saying. I am all over data dash, dash stars because lesson 26 was the one Dorothy and I used more than any other thing you've written in doing the homework. <laughs> that was, uh, she'd go 26. Homework. Okay, fine. I'll read it again. Excellent. Well, here's 26 in action again. So we're just basically saying that this first span is going to contain the value one and we've given it a name stars. And then we're putting a title in it so that when you hover the mouse over the star, it will say one star. Okay. And then we have something very similar for two stars, three stars, four stars, and five stars. All right. So that's not very complex HTML, I hope you'll agree. Yeah, I couldn't have written it myself because I haven't done anything like this, but uh, I've seen you do it. I think, I think you'd have made it there. Would yeah. have taken, you know, obviously you Copying wouldn't have done it your paper, seconds. sure. <laughs> right, but you would have been able to read the install. I don't know what the label page. ID is for. Yeah, uh, the label is label? how you do the little hover thing. You know the way when you hover the mouse over something? No, 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 no. That's the title. What's the? I don't know what the label ID does at the top. The first thing you did? Uh, line one? Okay, so everything on a form has a label. Okay. All we're doing there is saying that this is some text that labels something. Okay. It's, it's, a, ta it's a tag like section or head or whatever. Okay. It just All says right. this is some label text. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that's straightforward HTML. We need to style it a little bit so that it behaves properly. There's two potential problems here. If our star rating comes near a line break, as things stand, we could end up with two stars on one line and three stars on another line. That would look a tad weird. 
to put it mildly. And since this is something we want the user to click on, we should have the mouse change into the little handy pointer thing so that users know they can click on it. So there's two simple pieces of CSS that accomplish both things. The first thing is we say, oh, that's interesting. There's a typo there I need to fix before I publish the show notes. It should say pound sign stars underscore UI display inline block. In other words, take that span and treat it like one single slab. So either the whole thing goes onto a new line or none of it does. So that should be stars underscore UI. And then stars underscore UI space span. In other words, every span inside stars UI will have cursor colon pointer. In other words, I didn't know you could do that. That's fun. Yes, that's the containment selector. Definitely talked about that before. But anyway, there it is. Revision. That's the point of this. So we now have have before now told the cursor to be a pointer. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about the containment selector. Nope. I was talking about cursor to be a pointer. I've never seen that that I remember. Pretty sure we mentioned it once in passing when we were looking at CSS, but I don't think we've particularly focused on it because we haven't had a reason to. Okay. But yes, that's how you do it. Cursor colon pointer. Uh, So now we have something which behaves correctly for sighted people. Uh, But this is the Nocillacast. Well, sort of the Nocillacast. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, what about people who are not sighted? What about people with screen readers? So far, what, what they have is five invisible stars and a label that points at nothing ah. to a hidden form element that's invisible on the page. That's not particularly useful. So I've always we need... wondered that the title equals five stars, the, the hover over, that doesn't speak out loud. Probably. Some screen readers may choose to, but it's certainly not part of the official a screen reader must. Okay. Yeah. It's not an ARIA thing. So what we actually need to do for people who need accessibility tools is we need to do the ARIA bit. Mm-hmm. So ARIA defines a whole bunch of roles. A star rating is in effect a radio box, right? Yeah. You choose one star or two stars or three stars. Right. So I looked up the ARIA roles for radio buttons. And basically, our ARIA roles allow you to turn anything into something that ARIA will treat as if it was an actual radio box set. So we're basically using roles here. So we say span, we've added role equals radio group to the span that contains the lot. We've added ARIA labeled by to say which label matches our new little radio group here. So ARIA labeled by stars label. And then to each star, we've said role equals radio, aria checked equals false, aria label equals one. In other words, treat this like a radio button, pretend it's a radio button that is not checked, and label it as one. So now the screen reader knows that this is one, it's not checked, and it's a radio button. And as soon as you set one of those to true, anything else that's uh, true has to flip to false, right? Yeah, we have to do that button. in our JavaScript. No, we're going to have to do that. But anyway, the well, screen reader will see did it. That, I thought radio buttons did that automatically. Yeah, but this isn't a real radio button. We're simulating a radio button with JavaScript. So all we're doing here is telling oh. the screen reader how to interpret things. Okay. So, so this is just telling the screen reader when you're, dis- when you're displaying, and I use the word displaying in the loosest possible sense, um, when you're revealing this content to the user, reveal it as if it was... An input type equals radio. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so now we have our accessible version of our same HTML. All we've done basically is add metadata, right? The actual structure hasn't changed at all. Right. So now it looks right, 
and it is structurally correct, but it does absolutely nothing. You can click on those stars till the cows come home and nothing <laughs> will happen. So this is where JavaScript comes into the equation. And what we need is we need a click handler. So whenever you click, some JavaScript code will fire. Now, as we learned ages and ages and ages ago, you add your click handlers inside the event handler for the document becoming ready. Because until the document is ready, there's nothing to attach your handler to. So the JavaScript code we have here, basically, it wraps the whole thing inside the document ready event handler, which is simply the dollar function with a callback passed to it, anonymous function. And then we say for every span that's inside stars UI, add a click handler. The first thing the click handler does is it reads the data attribute stars. So in other words, whatever I clicked on, I now know whether it was one, two, three, or four because I've sucked the data out and I've saved it in the variable star rating, which seems like a good variable name to use. And then we're just going to have a for loop that goes from one to five and just do appropriately displays every star. So the first thing we do is we get ourselves a jQuery object for the star in question. Wait, so all the I, stars... Can I for a second? Displays the stars. I thought you said just before this that without this JavaScript, you can click those stars till the cows come home. Mm -hmm. How are you seeing those stars if they haven't been rendered yet? Well, they have been rendered, but they're all empty stars. Right? You they're just all said we're there. rendering them now. Right, because if you click four, then the first four of them need to get colored in. If you click one, the first one needs to get colored in. If you click two, the first two needs to get colored so in. So they're, they're already rendered. We're updating You're the rendering. how they're rendered. Right, which is called rendering. Re-rendering, if you like. Yeah, but, okay. I just want to make sure I understood. Yes, yes. So whenever you click, we make them now represent the current value of the star rating. So we loop through, and on our way through the loop, we decide whether we color the star in or not and whether we mark it as checked or unchecked for the screen reader. So our for loop goes from one to five. So the stars have IDs, stars underscore one, stars underscore two. So as we go through the loop, we make a variable called dollar star, and we set it equal to pound sign stars underscore concatenated with where we are in the loop. So that will just get us to each of the five stars one by one. I, I've lost where you are. What line are you on? Uh, line 10. Okay. Var dollar star equals pound sign stars underscore concatenated with our current counter in the loop, which I've called S just to be different. Okay. I'm. How are these different stars if they're all the same? Is it dollar stars okay, well, in an array? Is, one. is dollar star no. an array? No, it's a string. Dollar star is a single variable we're making here on line 10. We remake it every time we go through the loop. It's inside the loop. Okay. So the first time through the loop, S is 1. Right. So dollar stars is the result of calling the dollar function with the string pound sign stars underscore 1. Okay. In other right. words, the, the element keep, of the Keep page, going from there. I think I'm forgetting. I'm missing what's going to happen next as how this makes sense. So keep going. Okay, but that is now, this is important, that is now a jQuery object representing star one. Yes. Okay, good. Well, the next time around, it'll be a jQuery string. object. It's not, it's it a, isn't star one. It's a string that says it's star one. No, no, that string is being passed to the dollar function. So the result is actually a reference to that span on the page. Right? Dollar, open bracket, one argument, which is a string. So the string is sent to the dollar function. What comes out? is a jQuery object. 
It's the logical star, star, not the physical representation of the star. Uh, It is the actual part of the webpage. It is what you see with your eyes, right? Dollar star is a jQuery object that represents the actual span tag in the page. So if I set its CSS class to something else, it will change on the page, which is what we're about to do. Okay. All right. Keep going. See if I can follow you. Keep going. Okay. So the first thing we say is if the star we are on now has a value that's less than the current rating that we read out on line six, was it? Okay. So let's say then we want star rating is, let's say star rating is three. Yeah, so, so if rating is three and we're on star one, then it right. needs to be colored in. And if it and if we're we're on four, then it shouldn't be colored in. So to color it in, we remove the class FA star minus O and we add the class FA star. And to do the to do the opposite to color it out. Wait, star O is the empty one? Yeah, O for outline. So, so why would you change awesome. if if our the S we're on S one is less than the star we chose? Why are you making it? A, why are you going to make it a solid star? It should stay an empty oh, star. Uh, I'm saying if if we are less than the rating, so if the rating is three mm-hmm. and we're on one, then we should be colored in. So we're saying remove the outline and add the full one. That doesn't make sense. Star one should stay empty. It should the one you select should be the solid one, correct? No. So if you see a star rating on a web page, everything up to the one you select is colored in, right? If you go to if you rate something, well, I was going to say on Netflix before they remove the stars. When you could rate stuff on Netflix, if you clicked four stars, you got four solid stars and then an empty one. Wow. I would, you could very well be right. And I would bet you a million dollars it isn't. It's the other way. I, I would have said it was the other way around. Uh, that's, that's what's confusing me. Okay. Um, okay. So that's how I've always seen star ratings on the web. We, like if you click three stars, you have three lit up stars and, and two not lit up stars. If you click one star, you have one lit up star. If you click five stars, they're all lit up. They're all it's not solid. Just a radio box they set, all become right? solid, yeah. not, not hollow. Right, but that's what I'm doing here. I'm saying remove the class hollow and add the class solid. Yeah, but this Star is one that you always... haven't. This is the one you haven't okay. clicked. It, no, no, but it, right, we clicked three, so one, two, and three should be solid. So and radio buttons. No, okay, radio buttons don't do that part. Radio buttons, all of them, all but one is false. That's what you taught okay. us. Right, but we are implementing star ratings. And you we said are, we're gonna we're gonna make it into a radio button. We're, for screen we're make readers. it look like it. No, no. For screen readers. Screen readers will treat this as a simple choice between one and five. Because to a screen reader, this visual representation makes no sense. That's that is so that bl- okay. blind okay. people can So for with for it. for non radio buttons, I agree with what you're saying now. Now that's yes. the confusion. So Yes. Why do we call them radio? Why don't we call them something else? We could have made up any well, word. We didn't we? call no, no. We didn't call them radio. We said they had the aria role radio. Aria means only for screen readers. Okay, but are you saying that radio buttons in aria are not like radio buttons in in Frere the Sighted? They don't do that. Everybody's no, false I'm except saying, for one. I'm saying when you take something that isn't a radio button and give it the aria role radio button, only the screen reader treats it as if it's a radio button. So you don't think that'll confuse? Nope, because no one is going to see it unless they're using a screen reader, right? The ARIA stuff has no effect unless you're a screen reader. It's completely invisible. Right, but you're I, you're, I'm, I'm blind. 
I'm using a screen reader and I'm being told this is a radio button. Right. So you have but the choice not. of which, and it's and but, it's not acting like one either. But it is to you. Right? You're getting the choice between one and five. Okay. Right? So you don't you're just get saying visual... we're using a convention that some people have used, which is to highlight all of the, everything below and up to that that but not yeah, it's, letting it's... screen readers know that. Right. Okay. The the point of the input is to take a value between one and five. Mm-hmm. For sighted people, we're using a nice, pretty UI. For unsighted people, we're allowing them a mechanism for choosing between one and five. Hmm. Right. The point of a form input is to take input in the way that best works for a person. So a sighted person needs a UI that is visual. A screen yeah, no, reader. I, person I, I know all that part. That's, that's not the question. Whether or not to show to to represent it in a way they can understand. That's I, I understand that completely. I'm just curious whether there's a a difference in functionality of a true radio button where there's only one choice and only one thing is is selected versus one that selects changes the look of everything. Probably no, is no functional difference. Well, no, because the it's three or three, right? Or two or two or four or four or five or five. Then why do we light up all the stars up to and including it? Just because convention. that's how we visually that's how we visually see it. That's how the, the web is full of star ratings like that. That that yeah, is so just because people have do done it. it that way. Okay, you don't have to though. No, but it is actually nice because it's visually. If you if you think about it, if the fifth star is lit up, that doesn't tell you this is better than the fourth star being lit up. There's something. There's something visually about I have lit up five of them. I'm really happy. I have only lit up one because I'm really quite cranky. Like convention it does work, convention. right? It, it, yeah. It, oh yeah. No, work. I understand what it means. Okay. All right. I I now okay. can follow your. We can go through the code again now. So we're saying if S right. is in our case is one and our star rating is three, we're saying mm-hmm. to remove the the hollow version, the outline version, and we're going to put the solid. Well, we're going to change to add class of the solid one. Otherwise, yes. remove class FA star. Okay, they That's all started the false. Okay, but you don't, right, you don't make any assumptions. You basically, robust code doesn't care what the initial state is. It will make sure it's always correct when you're finished. So we're saying, take away the, take away the outline and add the solid one, or take away the solid one and add the outline. If the solid one doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. You're never going to get an error. Okay. It's just going to say, well, I'm finished. Okay. You know, that took gotcha. zero effort. <laughs> okay, I got you. And then we have an if statement that deals with the ARIA stuff. And the ARIA question is different. It's, am I the actual one that is the rating? If I am, ARIA checked true using the atter function. If I am not, ARIA checked false using the atter function. So lines 12 to 17 do the visual and lines 19 to 24 do the ARIA. So we have two different behaviors, depending on whether you're a screen reader or a a sighted person. Okay. But we have updated both. Oh, neat. Okay, got it. And then the last thing we do is we save the value they actually clicked into our hidden form element. So dollar stars underscore input dot val, the star rating. Hmm. Okay. So we've sucked out what the value is using the data attribute. We've updated the visual UI and the accessibility UI, and then we've saved the value into our hidden form. Sorry, our hidden form input. Okay. So there are three steps, and they're each represented there in the code. So if you open the file, uh, PBS26, sorry, 36.html, you will see... Open it a in a web browser or in... 
Well, you can if you open it in and check. If you, yeah, I was going to say if you open it just in a code editor, you will see the identical code I have here, okay. along with all the CSS and the HTML. And if you open it in Safari, you will be able to click on the stars and make them behave. Ah. And then if you click the button show form data, you'll see that stars equals three and then click five stars, show form data, stars equals five. Hmm. Uh, stars equals one, oh, like. I see. You have to keep hitting show form data after it's got you. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cute. So we have, it didn't take us much time, didn't take us much code. We have implemented entirely custom UI. There is no HTML element to do that. We have written it all ourselves. And we have made, we have tied it into the web form so that if it's sent to a server, the server has no idea where it came from. It just sees stars are three or stars are four. So we have used the hidden form input to bridge the gap between entirely custom UI that we've entirely invented from whole cloth and forms. That's pretty slick. I thought so, too. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did you know all this ARIA stuff before you started teaching it to us? Nope. I've been learning it as we go along. So teaching this, <laughs> what is it they say? Teaching is the best way to learn? Yes, and that is very true. I'm a huge believer in that. Um, so I've known I need to know. I just haven't had a reason to spend the time to know. Yeah. Have you become an, an advocate, like at work and such? Uh. Yes, actually, whenever I get the opportunity, yes. Yeah. Basically, if I touch front-end code, it will be accessible. Right. I don't touch a lot of front-end code as a Linux sysadmin, but when I do, it's accessible. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so let's move on out to more traditional. So completely hidden is input type equals hidden. There's also obscured inputs. They're text boxes, and you can type into them, and you can see that you're typing, but you can't see what you're typing. So someone shoulder surfing cannot see what you're entering in. And of course, we meet these on a, not just a daily basis, we meet them, well, not maybe not hundreds of times a day, but we meet them many, many times every day and every time we enter our password on the internet. So these are password boxes and you create them with input type equals password. Oh, and you'll cool. see on- There's a standard for that, that's neat. Yeah, so on pbs36.html, the second text box labeled super secret code <laughs> is a password box. So it has a placeholder that's visible to you. And then as soon as you type, oh, look, the little circles come up. I like how the uh, the uh, default is EG Boogers Lover. That's nice, Bart. <laughs> nice touch. <laughs> I, I thought you might appreciate that. <laughs> So the next input type we have is oh, for hey, can precise. Can I stop you for a second? I, I should have asked this yeah. early on, but I, I noticed whenever you say input tag, you've got a greater than symbol on the left and a right hand symbol. Yeah, uh, because I typed them all wrong and I have to do a find and replace on all of them before I okay. hit publish. Okay, I just want to make sure that wasn't some, basically it's not a full uh, uh, tag kind of convention. And I thought, wow, maybe input is just different. Okay, great. No, no, that's just a typo. Okay, cool. Goodness me, it's a common typo because I copied and pasted that HTML all over the place. Now I've got to <laughs> find all and replace all. Well, that's good. That'll take a second. Okay, well, so we've true. got type people equals password. That's that's a pretty nice one to have. It is. And again, it's it's not only for passwords, right? It's for anything you want to obscure. So maybe the three-digit code on a credit card should be done through this. It isn't on a lot of web pages, but it probably should be, actually. So I noticed uh, a little lock showed up to the right of it. And That's it says suggest Safari. new password. Yes. So Safari will. Is that Keychain doing it? Uh, it's the Safari browser. 
Uh, yeah. I'm sure it will save it into your keychain if okay. you do that. Okay. Suggest new password. Yeah, I tried. I tried other yeah, passwords. Okay. It, just, in it. it just doesn't know. It just does a password generator, and it says this password will be saved in your iCloud keychain, so it is okay. available to autofill on all of your devices. Escape. Don't click other passwords. The second one. It just locked up my Safari. It's gone off to do a whole bunch of checking. I don't know what it's done, thing but you, I'm going to have to restart You might notice, right? So uh, you run Text Expander, don't you? Yeah. So if you click into a password box, OS X lock goes into lockdown mode and disables accessibility tool. So as soon as you click into that super secret code, your Text Expander will have a yellow exclamation point over it saying, I cannot Text Expand in this text box. Nice. I can't do that, of course, because I'm restarting Safari right now and finding all the web pages we were just working on. But yes, the the browser is free. So if you use input type equals password, the browser is free to add extra fluff or features, depending on your point of view, to that text box that are non-standard. So Chrome will do its thing, Edge will do its thing, Firefox will do its thing, and Safari will do its thing, which apparently is Crash. Uh, so the next input type is for entering numbers precisely. And the reason I add the qualifier precisely is because there's a way to add them approximately, uh, oh. which we'll come to in a moment. So input type equals number is how you enter numbers. This is pretty straightforward naming. This is an HTML5 one, by the way. So everything we've done up to now is old, is all versions of HTML, basically, or certainly all recent versions of HTML. Um, and now we're into HTML5 for the rest of what we talk about in this before we move back on to our uh, cellular automata. So input type equals number is HTML5. It looks like a normal text box, but you have the little up and down arrows to yeah. the right. Uh, so you have all the usual attributes. So you can have um, a placeholder value and all that kind of stuff. But you also have three additional attributes you can use min for the minimum number allowed into your number input, max for the maximum number allowed in your number input, and step, which specifies how far to jump when you click the up and down arrows. Hmm. And step has a hidden second meaning, which is not obvious, but very important. The number of decimal places that are allowed in your form or in your input is the number of decimal places you use in the step attribute. So if you say step 1.0, then you're allowed one decimal place. If you say step equals 1.00, you're allowed two decimal places. Well, that's a really or annoying you could way say, to write it. It is, I know. Or you could do things like step equals 0. 0.5. So the second text uh, number input um, on PBS 36.html is screen size in inches. And that one, when you click up and down, it goes up in halves. So 23, 23.5, 24, 24.5. So that's a 1.0? So that's a step of 0. 0.5. And so that means we're allowed one Wait, decimal place. 0. 0.5, you said? So it goes 24 to 24.5 to 25. No, 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 that's not the question. You said allow a single decimal place, but step by one is steps one. Oh, steps 1.0. Oh, yeah. okay. So that so you could difference... put in 0. 0.5, but the next one up would be 1.5. If you had steps yeah. equals 1.0. Correct. Oh, wow. That's annoying. It's subtle, right? But yeah. that is... Just put a pin what... in it. I'll yell at you about that again later sometime. <laughs> That's when you wore TFM, right? And I do that a lot. Yeah. I go, I know Step has something to do with this. And in fact, M Mozilla Developer Network, MDM, 
MDN, sorry. That is where I get all of my answers in these things. Is there a reason you skipped over your percentage? How percentage awesome are you? Oh, yeah. So that's a that's a default one. So by default, the min is zero, the max is 100, and the step is one. So that basically behaves like percentages, right? Why did Between it zero me, and one. Why did it let me, let me type in text? Uh, because it will let you type it in, but it will fail validation, which is something we're going to look at next time. Okay, because it didn't do anything. It just let me do it. Nope. It let you do it, but it will not when we enable it validation, which is what we're going to learn about okay. next. So we're ignoring so validation. For interesting. Now. So even though you're telling it it's a number, it'll it doesn't just spit it, it back. Will, it you. will scream. Okay, it will scream at you when you tell it to. And okay. so, okay, we just so, haven't told it to scream yet. Precisely, because okay. we don't know how yet. But also, mm. you're doing two things by using input type equals number. You're also telling the browser what to do. So if you were on an iOS device, your keypad would not be the QWERTY keyboard. Your keypad would be the number pad because you oh, said this nice. is a number. I love that when that happens. Right. And that only happens when developers use the right input type. So this is why it's important. Even if there wasn't a validation feature, which we're about to learn about in the next installment, it would still be worth specifying type equals number because A, you get the up and down arrows, which are just useful. And B, mobile browsers know what keyboard to present to you. So it's it's good to do. It's good to use the yeah. right input. Oh, yeah. I just think it should yell at me automatically and say that's not a if number anymore. If we enable validation, it, okay, basically it is yelling at you, but it's yelling at you silently because we have it. <laughs> there is a CSS pseudo class called colon invalid, and that class is now active. We just haven't styled it. So we, we might say input colon invalid color colon red, and then it would now be bright red. Okay. Or we just hey, haven't moron? done anything with Hmm. Isn't there an option of, hey, moron, I said it was a number? Is, uh, well, it can then only you would, be styling? Uh, okay, well, you can also, there are also um, JavaScript events that fire, so you could add in some JavaScript code to make it do whatever you like as well. You might make it make the, you might make it do a pop-up or something. Whatever you, whatever you feel like, you can make it hide and show a message. You can do all sorts of things. Basically, okay. both JavaScript and CSS are firing off events, which we are just ignoring. Okay. So the browser is screaming into the wind that you're talking rubbish and we're just doing nothing with that information. Okay. But next time we will do something with that information. Okay, so the next one then is approximate numbers. And this is also a new HTML5 fun. Input type equals range. And this gets represented on screen as a slider. Oh. Now, again, you have a min, a max, and a step. And in this case, the step is like the magnetic points where the slider snaps to. So the first slider there is set to snap every one. So it's min is, I think it's 0 to 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, and it snaps on a step of 1. So basically you have 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So 6. What is the points. slider called again? Range. Input type equals range. Okay. I don't see that in the notes. I was just uh, it's for... inputting approximate numbers. Oh, we're way past where I was. Okay. Yeah, I've basically been using so uh, PBS considered... 36. Yeah, so HTML. that's considered... Uh... Called a range. That's an approximate number. Huh. Yeah, so that's what the HTML spec says. Because it's not showing you what it is right i'm just I asking guess, the yeah. user to move this slider somewhere and then i'm going to get a numeric value back from that 
but the user doesn't really know what they're entering. They're just saying, I'm really happy, really sad, really cranky, whatever, really okay. hungry, really thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're sliding something about and you are mapping a numeric value to that, which you're then going to do something with. But it's not like you're asking the user to enter how old are you, you know, how old are you, what size is your monitor, right? It's different. And the wording used in the HTML spec is that it's for approximate numeric inputs. Okay. Uh, you can also have it not do the snapping thing. So if you set step equals any, you get a perfectly smooth slider where anything is allowed. So All right, that's an approximate number then. <laughs> yeah. So how probable is an asteroid strike? That range goes from zero to one, which is a probability. And I have yeah. set the step to any. And you can move it slowly there and then hit show form data. And you will see that the... Um, asteroid underscore prob will be some sort of decimal number between zero and one. Okay. It bothers me a little bit that the sliders don't go all the way to the left or the right. That's a browser implementation issue. Okay. Or rather, that is how Safari has chosen to style it. It looks very different on Edge. What's really annoying is that the spec says that it's possible to add dashes at any position of your choice and labels at any position of your choice. And right now, today, the total number of browsers implementing the spec is none. <laughs> Not even Chrome, which is so good at this HTML5 stuff. So I actually wrote it all up in the show notes, and then I got to the giant big orange warning on the MDM that says no browsers implement this yet. I was like, ah, <laughs> sod. Poor Bart. So then I deleted that section of the show notes and wrote the star rating code instead. <laughs> A man ahead of his time. Yeah. So as I say, hopefully that is coming because what the spec provides is perfect. You can have arbitrary tick points at any point you want and label them any anything you want. You can have some of the ticks labeled and some of the ticks not labeled. It's perfect. Just no one has bothered implementing it. I love that because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a scale of like one to 10, uh, you know, from 10 being best and only uh, this, this, everything will be all clumped up. All the tick marks will be way up at like seven, eight, nine, and ten. Yeah. Nothing in between. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's complete. The, the way it's written, the spec, you can do that. I think it's brilliant. Uh, you could also use it for timelines or something. You can imagine, you know, do you want to be in the Tudor era, the Stuart era, and they can be different distances apart. I mean, it's it's brilliant. It's it's just not implemented. Urgh. And I'm afraid to say, there's more frustration on the way. So the last three types are for entering URLs, email addresses, and telephone numbers. And they are input type equals URL, input type equals email, and input type equals tell. Today, the first two actually do provide validation. So they'll become useful when we learn what we learn in the next installment. Uh, however, there's no validation provided for telephone numbers. The only, I say only, but it's a good reason. The only reason to use these really is so that mobile devices know what keyboard to use. So if you say tell, then it should give you a numeric keypad with plus and whatever other symbols are in telephone numbers. If you say email, it should use that special iOS keyboard that has the at symbol next to the space bar. And if you use URL, it should give you that keyboard with the HTTPs and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So for now, these are mostly just to help mobile browsers. But to be honest, I think that's reason enough to use them. Because that's actually worth doing. It will make people less cranky at you. Because there are oh, a lot absolutely. of mobile devices these days. I agree. I so agree. that's I it. Think that'll be, I think that's great. Um, I think they didn't do validation on phone because there's too many variables. Like 
Okay, are you a U.S. phone, a British phone, or a South African phone number? Too hard. The spec, though, could have implemented, because basically there is actually a standard, and you know which one to apply based on the first digits, plus one, American rules, plus 353, Irish rules. No, 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 no. When I enter a phone number, I don't put plus one. I don't put anything. Well, actually, there is an ISO standard. Yeah, yeah, but we don't. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the world does that, but of, of course Americans don't. Because we're the center of the universe, Bart. I should have known. How silly of me. <laughs> okay, so that's actually all I want to do on the HTML track for this week. So we've basically we have learned input type equals hidden, which sounds useless, but is actually really powerful. But it requires us to get our, J- our JavaScript skates on, which is good. We have input type equals password to give us our obscured inputs. Input type equals number for the little up and down arrows. Input type equals range for the slider. And then input type equals URL, email, and tell for URLs, email addresses, and telephone numbers. I like this that, part. This, uh, this is so much easier, Bart. Can we just make little web forms and not learn all that JavaScript stuff? This is hard. I'm sorry to say we've kind of run out of road on the web form stuff. We've learned about buttons. Yeah, but we haven't gotten to type any of our own yet. Not one. I have not gotten to type in one radio button. Not one label. Not one. I haven't typed the letter, the words ARIA. Yeah. So we're getting there because our game of life is going to need a UI. So we need to get our game of life to the point where we're ready to put a UI around it. So let's switch over to our game of life. So... Last time I introduced the concept, I handed you some documentation for a prototype called bartificer.ca.cell, which I said would represent a single cell within the automaton. I handed you a JAQ unit test suite, and then I told you to go off and write bartificer.ca.cell in a completely blank page, which is possibly the most evil assignment I've set yet. <laughs> now, you, did, you did write one thing in there. Your code goes here. <laughs> yeah, I like putting that in. I just feel it's, it's something, right? Here you go. Here's a starting point. It's not completely empty. <laughs> You're so, a horrible person. I actually, t- this is slightly an experiment because I think some people will have used the documentation as the basis for the code. And I think some people will have used the tests. And I'm wondering how many people used both. And I think I could guess which did which based on the look of your code. I think. Well, I, used I certainly both. had a look at your code and I immediately went, you really focused on the test suite, didn't you? I, I started at the test suite. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was um, you know, the kind of people who take a class and, and they learn to learn. And then the other people who want to be able to get an A in the class. <laughs> I want to get an A in the class. That's all I care about. Uh, no, but I, it, it didn't occur to me. I, I still find the, the uh, documentation extremely confusing. I don't. Mm. I don't look at it and learn anything usually. I look at it and I go, well, I wonder what that was supposed to mean. I I read it and reread it and Dorothy wrote it like every fourth line in our, our I really should copy our text string because it's hours yeah. long, but it's hilarious because every fourth time she goes, read the documentation. So I did, but I don't know what it means. You, you so. will be that person one day. Just like oh, you yeah. used to be the person who didn't, who if I were to say, look up the man page, you'd go, you look at the main page. And now you actually... <laughs> can look up the man page what does minus no, l do no i can't bart you just think i can no i i just i I've just seen you do it yeah maybe like for something i already knew just to see what it meant but uh right, yeah but I don't that's know. exactly what the documentation is for oh wh- what type is that second argument expecting hang on ah okay it's his number okay yeah 
Yeah, we went through a, quite a discussion about being confused by bullet asterisk and what that yeah. meant. Yeah. And that's a, I, I'm not particularly happy with the least rubbish style I have found for JS Doc. So, as you'll see now that you have my solution, so if you've actually opened the code, uh, so lib slash birdfisherca.js probably. Wait, where, uh, I don't. So the zip file that you downloaded contains. Oh, it has your solution in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it contains so the folder holds. Okay. Uh, PBS 35 challenge solution. Okay. Which contains a lib folder, which contains my bartificer.ca.js. Okay. I'm looking at it. So you'll see in there, all of the comments start with slash star star, which means they're JS doc comments. Right. And that web page you were looking at is auto-generated from those comments. Right. I do remember you teaching us that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you auto-generate it through a template. And so far, every template I have found for JS Doc either sucks a lot or sucks a little. <laughs> sucks less. Sucks less. So basically, the bullet point star is the least sucky template I've found so far, but it's far from perfect. And I actually had a look at writing my own, and it's incomprehensible. Okay. And ironically, the documentation on how to write documentation isn't very good. <laughs> I actually thought it was a typo, and I was going to point it out to you when we get on the show. That's that's how no. I looked at it and said, well, I don't know what that is. That doesn't mean anything. Unfortunately, I, it means the, the the argument can be any type. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing that confused me is the 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 boldness of the different sections is in an odd place. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly it what it was, but I really misunderstood what chunks went together because I kept thinking yeah. that that highlighted thing was the beginning of another section. So hence my yeah, so almost utter confusion. Blue outranks bold. Blue. If it's in, if it's in blue, if it's in a funny color, it means I'm starting something important. And if it's in bold, it doesn't. And my uh, brain doesn't work like that. Yeah. So it's my brain is the bold. Yeah, but like, t yeah. Well, yeah, so the stuff light in blue gray is actually starting stuff, but the light gray is stuff is metadata about the thing in blue, and the thing in blue is what's being described. Oh wait a minute, no. So it says type colon in dark bold, and right. then uh, it says jQuery single TD, and then the next thing down says private underscore next date. Okay, so private underscore next date is the start of the next big thing. Yes, yeah, so and the, the big things don't that... start with the blue. The blue thing the blue, is part of the type that goes with the light gray. The light gray thing is actually like where it says it's a private variable. Okay, but after the light gray, there comes the actual thing that is the private variable. So it'll say private and then something, right? Right, the but something. the first thing I, the, the most important, the, the thing to look for are light gray. Those are the beginning of sections. Right, which again, like I say, <laughs> not how I would have designed. Sometimes when you have developers designing UI, you get this kind of stuff. And I'm afraid that's exactly what's happened so, here. So I know we're derailing here, but I, we are completely I off, the, off the rails here. But, but I still, still don't understand. Say. So I see parentheses private, which I think means it's a private variable. Underscore Correct. next date. Then again okay, so in light gray, it says colon star. What does that colon star mean? Uh, so it means that next date can have any type. So if, if next colon? date were to... That's just part of the template that says, I'm about to tell you the type. So if you scroll down randomly through the page to find something that has a more defined type, you'll see that it says colon string or colon so number. So is there a space after the name of the thing and not a space in between the colon and the star? 
because it looks like colon star is one thing. Your guess is just mine? So you can't put a space in there? Nope. No, I did. I've had a look at the template files. Wow. They're, they're incomprehensible. So this is even worse. So I, what does that mean? So private uh, underscore I mean, next date colon star. So private is saying whether it's a public or a private thing. Underscore next date is the next name of the variable. Is the thing. And right. then after that is what type is that thing? No, no, no. So it if, says that way later. It says type and then bullet star. I'm talking right, about so right after next date. It repeats the information. Sorry, oh. it's the return. No. Yeah, no, it's just repeating the information. It's basically, so on that one line, you see everything about the variable, and then you have a whole description of the variable, which includes the same information again. So when it says colon th- star, that's the same as type colon bullet star. Or just type, yeah. Yes, it is. That's the same information being re- redisplayed. Really? I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. Wow. Okay. Like I say, sucks least. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe somebody else was confused by that. But you, I also did read the documentation a lot, and that actually got me into trouble too, but we won't go down that whole path. Okay. So anyway, okay. the folder contains my full JS file. Um, mm-hmm. So you can go through it all and compare it to what you have. It looks huge, of course, because it contains all of the doc comments because, well, it had to. That's how... You know, that's how the that's how the documentation was generated. Okay. It was actually from this file. I was going to say my code's way better. It's like that was. I think that was the saddest thing. Was after twelve hours, I had one hundred and forty five lines of code, or something. Right, I have maybe not even that. Maybe it was forty five. It was ridiculous. Right, I have four hundred and thirty seven, but an awful, awful lot of those are those JS doc comments, and those that aren't the JS doc comments are just comment comments because I am a very prolific commenter. Mm-hmm. Because future me is an idiot. <laughs> Let me check mine. Whoop. No, that is it. Let's see. No, so, uh, mine is, well, it's 131, but it's got like six blank lines in it. So it's really 126 lines of code. <laughs> oh, I have blank lines all over the place. I like to space out my code into paragraphs as well. No, so I mean, it was just a bunch of empty at the at the end. Yeah, okay. That's, 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 that's going yeah. too far. Okay. okay. So do I want to draw your attention to anything in particular? You can read it all, so it's all there. Let me scroll back in my show notes. Is it dramatically different from what I did, even though we haven't described what I did? Uh, Other than using... I don't think so, to be honest. That glop that you call uh, regular expressions? Uh, yeah, so I, I like to check if something is a whole number by just seeing if it's made of all digits. Okay. If, it's, if it's made of all digits, it's a whole number. Because okay. otherwise it'd have a decimal point in it. So, yeah, I love regular expressions. Someday I will teach you to love them, too. But that day has not well, come. Well, you know, there is a thing called is integer. Yeah, I know. Don't well, care. I'm using the tools. Yeah. I, and I actually used really some matter, things you right? hadn't even ever seen. That was exciting. Yes, indeed. So it really, it, it doesn't matter how you implement it, which is why I always, always, always call my solution sample solutions, because there is no one right answer to any of these things. If it does the right thing, it's right code. It doesn't matter if it's different. Yeah. So what we have at this point in the game is we have a JavaScript prototype which represents one cell within a cellular automaton. So a cellular automaton is a grid of cells where each cell has a current state and the whole, the whole table, for want of a better description, the whole automaton 
clunks forward like a CPU. It has a current state and then ka-tunk, it has a next state and then ka-tunk, it has a next state and ka-tunk, it has a next state. And every time it goes ka-tunk, every cell reevaluates itself. And it uses as the input for that reevaluation what state am I and what state are my neighbors? And then it applies some rules to figure out what its next state will be. And the rules are what make the automaton different to every other one. So you can write a cellular automaton with one set of rules, and then I can write one with a different set of rules. They're both cellular automata. They just behave differently. And one of those possible rule sets is called Conway's Game of Life. So Conway's Game of Life is just a set of rules. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So right now in the picture, what we have is the code to describe a cell. So the next logical step is the code to describe the automaton. In other words, the code to describe the grid of cells. So we said that we would represent our cell on the web page with a TD tag, a table data cell. So three guesses what tag we might use to represent the automaton as a whole. A table. Yeah, a Look table. Me go, girl. Okay. It was so easy. I was like, wait, this is a trick question. Nope, no trick whatsoever. The table data cells go inside a table. Yeah. Uh, which is a logical place. So now, unfortunately, they also have to go inside rows, which means we have a little bit more coding to do than one might like. We can't just jump data cells straight into a table. Right. Um, the other thing is, we're going to write this API in such a way that the user of the API is not going to create a table and then give it to the function. The user is just going to say, here's a div. Now you, Mr. Constructor, transform that div into a cellular automaton, wait, which wait, will wait, mean... Wait. What? The user is going to give a div? Right, as in the person, the, the coder, ah. making use of the constructor we're going to write. The coder. Okay, I'm picturing, we were talking about a happy little web form a minute ago, and now I'm telling somebody they got to make a div. Okay, so no, say that so again, yeah. now that we know it's the coder. So when you're calling the constructor, you're going to give the constructor a div or something. Basically, a, a square within a web page, and then we're going to empty that square, create a table, shove the table in, and then shove our little cells into our table we've just created. So that's what the constructor is going to do. Empty what do mean, the container. Square? What do you mean by a square? I, I mean a paragraph tag or a div tag or a section tag. A re- or so a, a rectangle. Tag. A rectangle. A rectangular yeah. area on a page. Doesn't have to be yes. a square. Okay. Precisely. All right. An HTML tag of type div, p, section, or main, I think is what I've said in the code itself. Basically, Why wouldn't it just a, a be the table? Why do you have to have a div? What's the? Because well, I don't want the user to write a table. I'm going to write the table so it's correct. You just give yeah, me an empty square and I'll fill it in. So what we want is a lot. We don't want someone to pre-build a house. I'm getting lost on who you are and who the user is. Okay, I'm the, I'm the constructor and the user is the person who's writing the code that says var cellular automaton one equals new automaton. So the user is the person using our API. Okay. And then there'll be a second level user is going to be someone browsing to the web page. Does that make sense? Nope. Coder. Coder. Use remember, the word coder. Remember when coder we talked about having to... video so that you could see my face? I'm just sitting here with my eyebrows confused. You're a coder too, Bart. I'm a coder. I know that. Who's not a who's not a coder? Okay, so when we wrote our date time API, we also were users of our own API. We said var new time equals bartofficer.datetime 
blah, blah, blah. The person saying var my cellular automaton equals new bardivisor.ca.automaton, that's the user we're talking about here, the person who's going to actually create objects based on our code. How is that not us? It will, it will, it, the set will include us. Yeah. We will be users of our own APIs. But so, we could publish them. In fact, we will be publishing on the web, and other people who didn't write them will also be able to use them. Right? The code will be on GitHub. Code is on GitHub, actually. To do what? What is somebody else going to do with the stuff we're writing? We're Make we're a cellular automaton of their own. Okay, so jQuery was written it. by... Okay, but I could be a developer who wants to make my own cellular automaton. I don't so, want to do... So Conway go make your own. Why are you using mine? Because don't I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I could rewrite all of jQuery, but we're not. We're using jQuery. I think I know what you're not saying. You're saying that okay. someone else could create a cellular automaton using the code we've written that follows different rules than the rules we're going to write. Yes, that's Thank exactly you. what I'm trying to say. Thank you. And failing miserably. Okay, and and it could also be how big is this grid of cells? Oh, yeah. I mean, the constructor is going to take in, give me a container to to build in. In other words, give me a plot of land. And tell me, tell how, me how many rows, many rows columns columns you want. You want. Right. Okay. Tell me what function you want to use to figure out how to go from step one okay. to step two, from step okay. two to step yeah, none three. Of, yeah, none of that was there. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's because I was still trying to finish. Yeah. And then the last thing I want is tell me what function to use to color in each grid. So a cellular automaton has a state, which is going to be the simplest possible one is true or false, on or off, dead or alive. Well, I thought the but automaton to... was the whole thing. You're saying a cell right. has on okay. or off. Every cell within an automaton will have a state. Yes. And okay. what that state is will be determined basically by whether you're doing Conway's Game of Life or something else. Okay. And so you, you need a function that takes the state as an input and as an output, we'll change the color of the cell or write okay. across into it instead of a circle or something. Okay. Basically, make it look different mm -hmm. so that you can see the states change. And so we're going to call that our render function. So I'm going to invent some terminology. I'm going to say that the, the rectangle you give me, I'm going to call the container. The number of rows, I'm going to call rows. The number of columns, I'm going to call calls. The function for going from step one to step two, I'm going to call the step function. And the function for coloring things in, I'm going to call the render function. Okay. That all seem reasonable? Everything but the step function. I don't know what I've got to give it a name, right? I don't know Can what it is. I don't understand what you said. It's, it's a function which will take as input the current state of a cell and the current state of the neighbor's, neighboring cells. And its job is to return a value. It's, what it's is, be what is step? I don't understand what step is. Okay, so the automaton has a current, every cell in the automaton has a current state, and then yes. you go clunk and recalculate. And that clunk is one of the step, is step function. Step FN. The step function is used to do the maths for the clunk. I have a current state of everything. I need a new state of everything. That's the step function's job. Figure out what, what is it? If I was alive, should I be dead? Okay. If I was bugger, should I become snot? Okay. All right. So the step function's job is to go from one step to another and figure out what what state every cell should be. Okay. So we'll be writing actual step functions. So the step function will be the four rules for Conway's Game of Life. Gotcha. Okay. 
but they could be anything. So we're just going to use them. Yeah, you get the idea. So based on just a little bit of talking I've done, the last thing is an optional argument just to give an initial value for every cell in the automaton. So that's the last argument is just an initial state. So based on that, if we don't do any form validation, or sorry, any validation on the arguments, we just assume everything is perfect, we can actually write the entire code for our constructor in 49 lines, which are in the show notes as it happens. Yep, I'm looking so at it. So I've decided to do it this way because this way it's uncluttered. I can walk you through the logic without getting lost in the whole, well, what if it's the wrong type? And what if this? And what if that? So you can see the full code full of, well, what if this is wrong and that's wrong in the zip file? But now I'm just going to look at the simplified stuff because that way it's not confusing. Is that That would help a lot. Yes, that would be okay. swell. Okay. So the first thing on line two is just I'm making variables called X and Y, which I'm going to use repeatedly throughout my loops. I'm just JavaScript. The scope of a variable is the entire function. Therefore, I'm just declaring them at the top of the function. So it's obvious that it's the same X and Y all the way through this function. Mm-hmm. Then the next thing I do is I take the container that was passed to me as the first argument and I empty it. Okay. And then I give it the class Bartificer CA container. Yep. And then I give it the data attribute, Bartificer object, and I shove this into it, which is what yourself and Dorothy would have done together mm-hmm. in the cell. Yep. Then I save copies of everything you were ha- I was handed. So this dot underscore dollar container equals dollar container becomes equal to yeah. dollar container. This dot underscore rows becomes equal to parse int rows. I'm just going to force it to be a number. If you pass me the string four, I'll make it into the number four. Sure. This that underscore calls parse int calls. This that underscore skit step function equals step function. This that underscore render function equals render function. Great. I've saved the arguments. Next thing is I've got to make an array to represent every grid. I now know how big to make that array because I now know how many rows and columns there are. So this that underscore grid equals square bracket, square bracket. Uh, as a reminder, square bracket, square bracket it's means... A, it's a matrix. It's an array. Array. It's an array of length zero. It is a completely empty array. Okay. We then have a for loop that goes from zero until x is less than this that underscore calls x plus plus. So if there's four columns, we're going to go four times. Mm -hmm. And we're saying into into our empty array, add another array in the other direction. In other words, we are now making our one dimensional array two dimensional. It's like an array a of arrays, like a matrix. Where but unfortunately, did, in JavaScript, this dot underscore grid x equals another array. So we now have the first element in the array is an array. That's oh, two because, because because where x equals one or x equals zero, actually, mm-hmm. where x equals yes. zero, the first one, you're going to have an array for the vertical column that goes in there. Yep, and then the second one, another array, and the third one, another array, because that's inside the for loop. So we then have an array of arrays. By the way, I I plan on pretending you never told me this later, okay? Okay, that's fine. (laughs) In most other languages, apart from JavaScript, you wouldn't have to do it like this. You could just say, give me a new array and put two square boxes, and it will go, oh, you'd like a 2D array. 
but JavaScript isn't that clever. So in JavaScript, we have to do it explicitly. So I'd like an array. I would expect at this point you would have been shoving Y into that array, though. Uh, Well, there's no need. No, we will be later, but I got to make it be two dimensional first. And then in the next for loop, we're going to have our Y. Okay, I just don't see it in the next for loop, so I was that's why I was looking for it. Well, the next for loop is y and then x, just to really confuse you. And the reason for that is because the x and y axis goes one way and the rows on a table go the other way, and it really made my head hurt. Okay. I, I, so you're starting to talk about the table before that y yeah, came exactly. up. That so confused let's, let's, me. Okay, so okay. we're on line 18, so let's not jump ahead. So line 20, because line 19 is blank. I am going to make a table out of whole cloth. This that underscore dollar table equals, I call the dollar function with one argument, and that argument is a string of HTML. So I have now made a table which exists in limbo. It is not part of the web page, it just exists in a parallel universe, and it is a table. I'm confused. This dot underscore table or becomes equal to underscore dollar table doesn't exist. It does now. I've just made it. You don't have to say var. Dollar underscore, no. underscore dollar table? You can just... No, be, right. Did we say var on line 8, 9, 10, 11, 12? No, but you were past those things. You were past was container, pa- rows, columns. All those things were past to you already. That's why they existed. No, the stuff on the right-hand side of the equal sign was passed to me. The stuff on the left-hand side, I just made. Uh, okay, okay. So the stuff... Yeah. Okay, and the stuff on the right... Yeah, okay, good. Good answer. Excellent, because You're right. this already <laughs> exists, and we're just adding yeah, something yeah. into this, right? That's what's actually going on there. Okay. So I'm saying, in, in the this variable, make me another variable named underscore dollar table, and shove into it this new table I have created out of whole cloth, which doesn't actually, it's nowhere on the web page, it's in limbo. Give it the class Bartivisor CA Automaton. Give it a data attribute, just like we did before. Okay, so now we have this table sitting in hyperspace. Tables, according to the spec, should have a t-body tag. Fine, var dollar t-body equals make me a t-body out of whole cloth. What is a t-body? A table, it's the body of a table. Is the t- so a table tag contains a t-body tag. A t-body mm-hmm. tag contains one or more t-or tags, which are the rows, and then the rows contain one or more t-d tags, which are the cells. Okay, I forgot about that one. Okay. All right, yeah. so we'll make us one. We'll make us one, and we'll just call it dollar T-body. We'll, we'll just, just keep track of it for now. We'll do something with it in a moment. Then we have our first for loop, where we say for y equals zero, y is less than this dot underscore rows, y plus plus. Yep. So we're iterating along the rows instead of the columns, because mm-hmm. that's how tables work, right? HTML tables don't have columns. They only have rows, so we've got to go row-wise. Mm-hmm. We say var dollar row equals, and we make a row out of whole cloth. Okay. You mean you row. Then we say for x equals zero, x is less than the number of columns x plus plus. So within the row, we're now going to build one cell for every column. So we make a td out of whole cloth. Var dollar td equals open close tag. Uh, we're going to say initial state is undefined. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, I am my function allows the initial state to be specified in three different ways. You can hand me an array of states, one for every cell. So if you handed me an array, then I'm going to take the appropriate value from the array for my initial state. 
The other way you can hand it to me is just as one value to use for every single cell. So if you did that, I'll take it, please. And the last thing you can hand me is a callback, a function that I'll execute and the result of the function I'll shove into the initial state. That last one is for uber hyper nerds only, but well, feck it, I'm writing it, I'm publishing <laughs> this online, so I'll, I'll welcome uber mega nerds. The point is we're going to calculate the initial state depending on whether you gave me a single value, an array or a function. And then we're just going to say this dot underscore grid x, y, our two dimensional array, equals new bartificer.ca.cell. Haha, we're using what we made last time. We're going to pass it as the argument, our whole cloth table data cell, our current X value, our current Y value, and the initial state we calculated. Then I am going to say, I'm going to call, I'm going to execute, I'm going to expelliarmus the render function on that cell so that it gets whatever color the render function says it will. Okay. And then I'm going to say $row.append$td. In other words, our whole cloth row now has our whole cloth table data cells shoved into it at the end. And so as we go through the for loop, we go the first cell is added, the second cell is added, the third cell is added. So then we'll have a full row. So the next line is $tbody.append$row. So we've built a row and we've shoved, now we're shoving the row into the tbody. Then we're finished the loop. So what do we do next? We say this that underscore table dot append the T body. So we stuck the cells into the rows, the rows into the body, and now we're sticking the body into the table. <laughs> okay. And the last thing we do is say this that underscore container dot append this dot underscore table. So finally, the table has come out of limbo and has been shoved into the actual web page. So at so, this point in time, we have shoved our new table into the page and the code ends. That's it. We're at finished. this instant in time, Sunday afternoon at 3.25 p.m. on uh, June 25th, I understand what you said except for one thing. You never okay. used this dot underscore grid X. Why did you build that? Uh, I use it on, I did, I did use it. Hang on. Uh, give me, I'll give you a line number. Uh, line number 39. Don't say, no, don't say, don't say 39. It's not on 39. There's this that underscore X, Y, but not this right. dot underscore grid X. Okay, but grid X and then into Y. Grid X, Y is grid X and then inside grid X. So what grid X, Y means is go into the array X down as far as Y. That is actually going into X, okay. which I is an array. No idea how that happens. It says this dot underscore grid, square bracket X, square bracket, square bracket, Y, square bracket. No idea how X and Y end up inside of each other. No. Okay, so on line 17, we said this dot grid X becomes this equal to an array. X. Yeah, this dot underscore grid X becomes equal to an array. So yes. grid X is another array. Yeah. So this dot underscore grid X gets us one array. Square bracket Y says, okay, so I now have another array. So into that array, go as far as here. What do you mean go as far so, as here? What? So grid... Square bracket X means get me grid and then count to X. And then you meet another square bracket because you've met another array. What do you mean count me as far as X? How is X counting? Is grid a function that counts? No, it's just a variable okay. you made up. Right, but grid is a variable that contains multiple values. Which value do we want? We want value X. That gets us to another array. Which value do we want from that one? We want value Y. It's an array of arrays, so it has two indexes. Nope. <laughs> it 
Sorry. Okay, if, if, I, if you have an array of numbers, then you just say grid square bracket one and you get the number out. But if you do grid square bracket one, you get back another array. To get all the way in, you need to tell it another index. The format of this doesn't look like it says anything vaguely near what you just said. It's two square brackets okay. sitting next to each other. You don't ever say two things with parentheses next to each other and one goes into the other. It's, okay, that is, that is the JavaScript syntax for a 2D array. Are you, array, are you multiplying two those brackets. two things together? What does no, it so mean? grid x is, okay, this.gridx gets this me another array. This.gridx gets me another array. So the next square bracket applies to that other array. What do you mean so it gets in, you another array? How does it get you another array? It is another array. Set, right, so, yeah, exactly. So as, as JavaScript's little robot is going through, it says, okay, this, what are you? Okay, this, you're an object. Dot, go into the this object. What's next? A name, grid X. Okay, I now have an array. What's next? Square bracket. I got to go into the array. How wait, wait, far wait, do what I do you mean? What do you mean? Do you, no, it stops at underscore grid square bracket X. No, it doesn't. Okay, I'm talking you through what the little robot, remember the little robot that Jill told you to imagine? So let's walk through what the robot does. First thing the robot says is, I do everything up as far as a period. So I say this. What is this? This is an object. Period. Period means go into the object. Where do I go in the object? I go to a variable named grid. Okay, underscore great. grid. Please keep saying under, underscore because it's not the same thing. That is very correct. Okay. So I go in. Okay, so I'm in the object this, and I'm now looking for the key underscore grid. Mm -hmm. I now get a val The robot is now holding a value. That value is an array. It goes square bracket. Okay, square bracket means descend into the array. How far do I descend in to the X element? So it'll be zero the first time through the loop. Mm -hmm. Okay, what do I find at position zero in the array? I find another array because it's a two-dimensional array. It's an array of arrays. Mm -hmm. So then I meet another square bracket that says descend into that nested array by this much. So that's how you finally end up at the right point in the grid, because it's an array of arrays. Can, so you, can gotta you just, go, I guess, send me the, the JavaScript um, uh, documentation that explains how you draw the typed text, square bracket with one letter in it, and a square bracket with the other letter in it, and that means something because it doesn't mean anything to me. I, I I hear you and I see the code and I don't know what line thirty. It's hard to tell if it's thirty eight or thirty nine. We're taking too much time on this, but maybe you can find the documentation that explains that because I'm nowhere near following yet. Okay, we'll, we'll sit down afterwards. But it's it's a two dimensional grid, and we're saying go to these two coordinates within the grid. Sure. Okay. So let's keep going. We've been going a long time. I got to. OK, well, we're pretty much done, actually. Good. Um, there is a lot of revision going on here. Right. So we have used the dollar function, which we've learned about. We've used the append function, which you've learned about. We've used the data function, which you've learned about. We have used. Well, yeah. So that's let me see what else I want to draw your attention to. So we have now written this prototype and you will find in the folder in the zip file a file named sample. HTML. Is there a second zip file? No, it's one zip file. There's a folder named PBS36 challenge starting point. Mm. 
So there's two. So PBS 36 contains two folders: PBS 35 Challenge Solution and PBS 36 Challenge Starting Point. That's so you what might you be said at the beginning and. Uh, Go up one okay. level in the folder structure. Yeah, no, it got it got away from me. Okay. Okay, gotcha. so we're in challenge starting point. You'll find a file named sample.html, which shows us our prototype in use. Now we're going to build that up together, and then we're going to call it a day. So first things first, we're going to make an empty HTML5 page, and all it's going to do is suck in jQuery and suck in our prototypes. So that's that little 11-line jobby there. So doc type, HTML, head, meta car set, UDF8, give it a title, script type equals JavaScript, suck in jQuery, script type equals JavaScript, suck in bartfisser.ca.js. And then we have an empty body tag. We probably need some sort of content, so let's make an H1 that says a sample cellular automaton, an empty main tag, and then we'll call it a day. So we're going to use the main tag as our container. Okay. So to make our automaton, we need to do that inside the document ready function. So that's dollar function. And we just need to call our constructor. Uh, oh yeah, we should. We also need to make sure that our cells are not zero pixels across. So we have some CSS there that says that a TD with the class Bartificer CA cell should be 10 pixels wide and 10 pixels high. Is that, are you happy enough catching, with that? I'm catching up. Okay, yeah. Um, we're going to need a step function. I am going to write the world's simplest step function. It's going to simply say return true. In other words, every cell in this automaton is always going to be true. So the step function is return true. Uh, the function for rendering is going to turn every cell green always. So it's just simply td.css background color green. Right? So this is a very naive uh, cellular automaton. But we put it all together, we get 48 lines worth of HTML. Have you found that in the show notes? I'm rushing yes. slightly. Yeah, yeah, I have. So the important thing starts on line 21, and the closing round bracket, the end line 21, is on line 27. So that's the bit I want to look at quickly before we call it a day. Okay. So we're saying sample cellular automaton, sample CA, becomes equal to new bartificer.ca.automaton. In other words, we are calling our constructor. The first argument, we're giving it $main, which is the main tag in the HTML, which is down I, I on... I hate to stop you, but where did .automaton come from? Where did .automaton, as in sample CA? New bartificer.ca.automaton. Where did that word come from? That is the prototype we wrote together over the last 20 minutes or so. Okay. All the code we were looking at was ca.automaton. So you wrote ca.cell okay. yeah. for your homework? Okay, yeah. there you go. We just okay. wrote automaton. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So the first argument is the container. We're saying, get me the main tag inside this web page, $main. The second two arguments are the dimensions, 10, 10, 10 by 10 grid. Next argument is the render function. I am saying we are going to use the function return true, a really naive function. Doesn't matter. Uh, sorry, that was the step function. The render function, I'm simply going to have a function that turns the background green. $TD.CSS background minus color green. So later and that's going to do a bunch of stuff, but right now it's a function that just paints it green. Yeah. Yeah, okay. this is this is a really dumb cellular gotcha. automaton. Okay, good. We don't, we're not working on the logic yet. No. 
Where basically we got to give it something because otherwise it will it will throw an error and say okay. nope I want a function. Okay. This is not a function. And then the last thing our initial state I am passing the very exciting initial state of true. Okay. So there's our six pieces of information, and then I'm doing a console.log so that if you want to you can have a look at the element inside the JavaScript console. And if you open that web page, you will see a charming 10 by 10 grid of green squares. Um, so if you take that file and drop it onto Safari. I have to find it. Sample.html? That's the one. Okay. There it is. It's green. That's amazing. So what we have now is we have successfully created an automaton, but it doesn't start, right? There's no stepping happening, right? It's just, it exists and it's frozen in time, right? Mm -hmm. So in the next installment, what we need to do is we need to write the code to go clunk. <laughs> uh, and to do that, we probably also want some buttons, like a button that says go right. and another button that says stop. And maybe we want some sort of range slider to say how fast we want this automaton to go. Ooh. So we need to build the function to actually clunk, and then we need to build some UI. And so that's where we're going to go next. And then when we have that done, we can actually go to the Wikipedia page for Conway's Game of Life, find out what the four rules are, and then translate from English to JavaScript, and then we should have a fully working Game of Life. Cool. We do have all the pieces. This is awesome. We do like have. We have the pieces somewhere. you thought, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what I've given you is the sample JavaScript with no validation, no fluff. So the folder in the zip file does have the fluff. So if you actually want to see the true size of that ca.automaton prototype with all the fluff added back in to make it proper, that is in that file. So what's your homework then? I've seemed to have written it all. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like how you wrote the real easy one. <laughs> <laughs> you say it's easy. It's actually it's actually as much code as the other one when you put the fluff back in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I haven't written is the test suite. Actually, I have. I just haven't given it to you. So <laughs> okay. I'd like you to write it as well, and then you can compare it to my one next time. So the documentation is written, and that's also there for you in the zip file in the folder named docs-dev. Uh, there's the public documentation in docs, the developer documentation in docs-dev. The difference being the public one doesn't contain any of the private variables. And there is the start of your test suite, which is what basically the test suite for vartificerca.cell so you need to take that test.js and add on all the tests for bartificer.ca.automaton. And that's all you have to do. <laughs> see, this is where I can cheat because I can go, yeah, I checked to see if it was a number. Okay, <laughs> what's the next one? <laughs> when you write the test, I'm like, oh, for the love of Petey thought of everything. He checked to see if we put a squirrel in there. <laughs> well, that's why I use the dummy, the dummy basic types array a lot. So I just loop through all the stuff. So I'm not really doing a lot of, I'm testing for a lot, but I'm not doing it manually. Right. I'm just right. saying loop through all of these things and make sure they all fail. Right. I'm going to change it so it's got a squirrel in it. <laughs> Have you given up on boogers and become a squan? Hey, you know, sometimes you got to just stretch out and try new things, but we'll see. I've never given up on boogers. So. Okay. So we can have a, a squirrel with a snotty nose. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, this was cool. Except for that one bit. I understand everything that you said, and I'm sure we'll get together on that later.
So well, we can get a... together. We, we'll get together and we'll draw it out as a picture and that will make a lot more sense. Okay. Well, this will be fun. We'll Excellent. see you in a couple of weeks on this topic. Excellent. Well, until then, happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal. Or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at Podfeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.